Welcome to WWDMD, a podcast that is all about peeling back the curtain on what clinicians really think and feel as they work with others. My guests, clinicians, who are also sometimes clients themselves, risk their vulnerability as they publicly share their emotional reactions to their clients, disclose their challenges in doing the work, and reveal their personal backgrounds. I'm Dr. Myers. I'm a psychotherapist in New York City with 30 years of practice experience, special in anxiety and depressive disorders, as well as sibling relationships and family systems. I'm also a professor of social work at Malloy University on Long Island. I see this as a journey of self-reflection for not only our guests, but you, because with each episode, I'm hopeful that you will learn something new about yourself. Please note that any discussion of case details have been modified to protect the privacy of our clients. What would Dr. Myers do? Today, I'm talking with Petrina Williams, a Malloy University social work graduate who has taken four or six classes with me. We haven't quite figured it out. So she's quite well-versed in my belief about our past influencing our present and its impact on who we are and how we think and how we relate to others and also my belief in the necessity of understanding how our past and relationship with others impacts the way we work with others and our approach. So Petrina is going to lay out, uh, so to speak, her her history, those events and circumstances and experience that she feels has been impactful and has molded her into the person that she is. And then together, we're going to explore the ways in which that may influence the work that she's doing in the field of social work. So I'll start with a basic introduction. So Petrina is a 37-year-old Jamaican woman who came to the United States at age 15, where she joined her mother, who arrived seven years earlier. So Petrina was raised by her maternal grandparents in Jamaica, and her father had left the family when she was one years old, and they never resumed a relationship thereafter. At age 22, she joined the Army, where she served for 12 years. She was raised Pentecostal and claims that religion played a large role in her life. And she returned to college in 2015 at the age of 33. And she's majored in social work. She recently graduated just this past May, and she's now attending Columbia University for her MSW. And when we when we kind of pre-interviewed for this story, I asked her about the role of race as part of her cultural story. And she says she felt it didn't play a pivotal role in her life. But she did acknowledge that prior to entering social work school, she may not have had the lens through which to consider its role. So we're just going to dive right in and see what comes up regarding her description of her past, and again, how we can explore together where this may interface with her social work career and her work with others. Petrina. Hi. Growing up in Jamaica was quite interesting. As was stated before, I grew up with my grandparents after my mother left when I was eight to make a better life, a better life for us, as she well stated only it wasn't a bed of roses, as one would say for me. I know she left me in the care of people who 
she trusted, which were my grandparents. And they did an awesome job in providing for me and ensuring that I was taken care of the best they knew how. Unfortunately, when I was, after my mother left shortly, I was molested by family members. Yeah, members. And that went on for a few years, actually. I would say approximately four years. I didn't realize then, but it did have an impact on my life where I really felt unloved and wanted and just basically very mistreated. I didn't felt like I had anyone in my corner, anyone I could trust. My grandfather died early also, so he's the one that really kept things together. And after he passed away, everything just literally fell apart. I did poorly in school. In Jamaica, there is an exam that we had to take in order to go to a high school. And it was called a common entrance, basically testing your math, re- uh, reading, and understanding of just basic English knowledge. And I took that exam five times and failed it. <laughs> so, yeah, it was quite disappointing to say the least. While going through all that, I was always told that I would never be anything. I would never do anything, basically never go to college, never go to high school. The last exam that I took was in grade nine, and that's when I finally passed it. And that was around the time that my mother decided that it was time for me to, well, not decided, but when she had the opportunity for me to migrate here to the United States. And so the one achievement I felt I had growing up, it was taken away from me by coming to this country. <laughs> when I came here, it I was in the church. Religion has always played a vital role in my life. Basically, I was born and raised in a church. When I came here, that was still a part of who I was, am. And it dictated a lot of things that I did now. It never, it's not something that I turn to for help to deal with any of the struggles or issues that I had, really, because a lot of the things that I dealt with growing up, it was pray about it and God will take care of it. Or it, it was never, okay, talk to someone about it and let's address this issue and see how you can go about whether coping or whatever. It's what I'm learning now in social work school, it, it was nothing like that. Or it was often, if something happened, it's because you wanted it to happen to you. So after I came here, I tried my best to go back home by filling out my first year of high school. Even though I realized that Jamaica was a place where horror stories happened in my life. I still wanted to be there because that's what I knew. That's what I was comfortable with. Going into the school system here was a shock to me. It was not easy. (laughs) I was always used to wearing uniforms or just have this very structured environment, and it didn't seem that way to me. But I graduated roughly B students, I suppose, even after fitting up my first year. After about two years after I left high school, two, three years, I joined the Army. Everyone from church basically tried to talk me out of it, but I Didn't listen because I felt like they weren't going to take care of me, I suppose. And I needed to take care of myself. 
oh, um, I forgot one important thing is that when I was 18, <laughs> my mother actually threw me out the house because I came home late one time. Which, so I had to go ask some random lady that, not random, but someone I've met in recent times at church to let me stay with her. And she took me in and I lived with her for three years. All this time, from a child up until now, I've been going to church every Sunday. Church never misses me, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Whenever the doors were open, I was there. Up and joining the military, I encountered a young woman who I could not understand at the time I was very attracted to. And I felt very ashamed about it. I didn't know how to address or approach it. But she approached me and asked that I be with her. And for a while, I told her no. I told her it was wrong. I told her it was against the Bible. It's not what God ordained. Of course, she got upset. By then, we had became friends, and she was upset. And I quickly came to realize that I was a people pleaser after that. And I gave in. And she was my first encounter in that lifestyle. So... Interesting. I fought, wrestled with that for a while because it goes against my religious beliefs, what the Bible says. And if, you know, I've always said that if I'm going to live by the Bible, I have to live by it wholeheartedly. Well, let's just say I put the Bible aside for a few years because I was in a full-fledged relationship with her for a while. And was engaged at one point to be married. <laughs> and yes, it didn't work out. But nevertheless, I went back to what I knew, what seemed to work for me, which was religion. Joined the army. The culture there was just very, of course, you know, very structured, very rigid. It's, you know, do what you're told. And I sadly fell into that trap again, you know, when leaders or people would ask me to do things. It's always aim to please, regardless of what it is. And so my religious beliefs, again, were challenged there, and I gave in. <laughs> so now, having dealing with social work school for the last four years, well, pursuing my degree in social work for the last four years, it has really challenged some of my beliefs, my, the way I see things, the way I understand things, you know, and there's just still this constant, is this what you want? Is this not what you want? Where do you go? What do you do? So if I should be completely transparent, it is like David said, a thorn in his flesh. I think the most challenging piece of my life right now is battling between my religion and what society deems to be wrong or right.
And that's my life in a nutshell. I'm amazed because of how brave you are to bear all of this, knowing you and how difficult these personal feelings are to reveal for you. And I think it takes a lot of risk putting this out to the public. But, you know, we talked a little bit about this, about the trepidation before we started recording. Part of it is putting it out to the public and not knowing who's going to be listening to this. And so you're kind of bearing your soul to the world. We're assuming the world because we're going to have billions of listeners. But uh, really just putting yourself out there. And sometimes it's very hard for us to allow other people to see our vulnerabilities, especially, especially when we haven't completely made sense of them on our own yet. And then the second piece, of course, is is kind of similar to fears of going into therapy. It's that not only does one wonder about a therapist's ability to kind of hold you emotionally, but I think a lot of the fear, and you shared this, is not being sure what's going to come out so that you are then faced with feelings that you don't know necessarily yet what to do with so that it can become emotionally overwhelming. So as I'm listening to you, that was the amazement. The amazement is about your risk-taking and your bravery and the slight overwhelmed, overwhelmed feeling has more to do with there being so much here that I can kind of go with and go in multiple directions with. And my concern about overwhelming you with what I'm about to interpret, right? Because part of our deal here was you lay out the story and I'll help us figure out how this might potentially impact your work. So of course I have a lot of thoughts around it and I'm kind of thinking as you're talking, I want to be that person who can help to hold you through this as someone who has known you now for a couple of years as my student and you're no longer my student and as my innate character and as my professional role as a therapist, I also sense from you and based on not only, again, my interactions with you over a couple of years, but what you've just laid out, how deeply you need to be held. I find that very powerful. And then I'm thinking about intellectually the different ways we can go about this, right, for me to kind of interpret a piece of what you've said and then let's discuss it or lay it all out for you. And then you choose, you know, which part you want to pursue. But I'm a little cautioned by the feeling that that might be overwhelming to completely lay out all of this. So I'm going to pause for a second and ask you if you have a preference. No, we can proceed. No preference. Well, let's see how it goes. So I'll do it piecemeal, and you'll either tell me to continue, you want to hear more, or you know what, this might prompt you to have further thoughts. So my first thought is about the multiple losses that you have experienced, right, personally and culturally. So from a personal sense, your father left you at age one, your mother left you at age 15, I'm sorry, at age eight, you were raised by your maternal grandparents, and then your grandfather died. So some of these are natural losses, and others, even though it wasn't necessarily done with maliciousness or intention, they can be experienced as abandonments, right? Your father's abandonment, your mother, even though she was coming to this country for a better life for the both of you. Uh, that's not exactly how an eight-year-old interprets it. 
your grandfather left you, so to speak, through death, certainly not his, his fault or intention. Your molestation by multiple family members is a loss of what family means. It's a major betrayal. And that's a major piece. And so on top of that, you have this loss through cultural adjustment, right? When one migrates, you're giving up everything you've known and starting anew, which is completely overwhelming. So I think through all of these losses, there's a lack of support, a lack of feeling of unconditional love. And on top of this, you're being told as you're developing your ego that you're never going to amount to anything. And so all of this is kind of a bit soul-destroying. So my first thought is about connection, right? Because for you, connection is really fraught, right, with inconsistencies. Inconsistencies and trust being betrayed and multiple other aspects of attachment. So I would think that that creates for somebody a very, very, very strong desire for connection, but also a major fear of connection. So we strive to connect to our clients. And we have various ways of of doing that through our work. But I wonder, you know, what your thoughts are around that and how that potentially has impacted you or how you anticipate that impacting you moving forward, right? Because you've had a year under your belt now of having an internship. You're about to embark on a second internship. So you have some reflection and some thoughts maybe around foresight, right, about what that's going to create for you, how that's going to serve you, and how that is potentially going to challenge you. I suppose for so long I've viewed every role that I've worked in as this is my duty, so I have to do it. I will accomplish the task or the mission or whatever it is at any cost. And so working with clients, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I will figure out a way to do it. Connecting with them, on the other hand, it's, I don't know, that may may be a challenge because... Sometimes I, for me to connect to someone, I have to feel that it's almost that initial, I don't know, connection with you, that initial, hmm, I like you, or okay, if I don't like you, then bye. I I know it's not going to be based on a personal aspect, but I think even in a professional way, that does play a role in some sense. So I don't know, I, I think I'm at a deficit already, to be quite frank, when it comes to building connection with others. And I feel like that's why I work so hard to maintain relationships that are that I think are important to me. I don't know, I, I think it's just something that I will have to continuously work towards overcoming and or work towards attaining rather to be able to build that connection with you know the people you work with but it doesn't have to be on a personal aspect for so long I've shied away from people or just stayed away from people because again of that whole abandonment issue like 
if I feel like there's a possibility that you would leave or you would just not be there, then I refuse to form a relationship with you and and therefore deal with you on the level that I need so in order to want to achieve my goal or, you know, whatever needed to be achieved. Yeah. I, I don't know if all that made any sense. Just yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you're talking about the complexity of attachments, right? That on the one hand, you feel like you have the ability to hang in there professionally because you know you're charged with a certain role and responsibility as a right. social worker. But this field is quite different than being in business or some other aspects of professions where you can say we have to keep the course. And not to say that emotions don't play a part in any profession, but here it's right, it's it's at the forefront. Yeah. So we can say intellectually we know what we need to do, but emotionally, if these are things that are still so raw for us or living with in us so deeply and we haven't really resolved it yet, it's easy to play it out or transfer, right? The whole counter-transference, transfer this onto a client. So let's say that attachment in your construct, and maybe this is, you're conscious of this and maybe you're not, let's say attachment is dangerous. It's very risky, right? If you give yourself to somebody and they don't fulfill your needs or expectations, then there's that desire to kind of dismiss them and reject them so that you're not further rejected because it's experienced as a rejection, right? When somebody doesn't meet you where you're at or respond to you in the way that you had hoped or wanted. Does that make sense? It does. Right. So uh, on one sense, you're grappling with all of this, right? And when one is so deeply ensconced in their own emotional state, it's hard to pay attention to the client's emotional state and to approach them in a more objective way that their behavior or whatever they're doing might be an indication of their pathology and not necessarily an indication of how they feel about you, right? So we can talk about that in many aspects of this work, right? There might be another social worker who feels easily offended by X, Y, and Z, and you would be someone who'd say, well, that wouldn't bother me at all. That social worker also has to figure out, well, this isn't personal necessarily. It could be. I mean, our, our clients are smart and intuitive people, and they might not like certain things about you that we need to change. But there are other times where we personalize things that have nothing to do with us, right? So I would think that your challenge in this area may be in that, in that realm, in not being affected to the point of wanting to distance yourself from a client or finding something in them that you find very attractive. And I don't mean physically or intimately, right? We just mean as a, as a person that makes you want to have a different type of relationship with them, um, a closer relationship, or they might be the client that you're always going above and beyond for because you're very selective, with, with who you like and who you want in your inner circle. So when somebody provides you something or fills a part of the whole that is living in you, you I think you're saying you, you really want to embrace that. And I think that that's completely human nature, by the way. It's not 
a fault. It's just something to be very mindful of. Like in, in my past internship, of course, there were always clients who you preferred more than others <laughs> or you liked working with better than others. But it was never to the point where I think I made the necessary connection enough to get the job done, which is why what I was saying previously in getting the clients where they need to be or doing whatever task needs to be done. I don't think it's so much of an issue with me. Maybe what I do not see at this point is the counter-transference, you know, like you mentioned, and how it could play a role. And I would hate for that to go into my next year and that still being like a huge issue where my kind of transference is getting in the way of working with a client. It's those subtle little things that I may not be able to readily identify that I am in a sense worried about. Like for instance, I know that I will be working with veterans for the next year. And it is something that keeps coming to my mind, you know, will there be a whole bunch of counter-transference? It will never be resolved in a year, in two years, or three years. This is a lifetime work in progress. 30 years later, I still face triggers, so to speak, or get strong emotional feelings connected to what a client is presenting based on my own life experiences, either present or past. And we're constantly sifting through that to be in touch with not letting that interfere with the way that we are communicating, relating, directing, empathizing with a client, right? We all have baggage. We all have personal stories. And I think the main focus has to be on allowing yourself to look at that and explore that without punishing yourself for seeing what you end up seeing and how it may be potentially affecting your work. That's how we grow with the work. So in this work, we grow professionally, but we also get to grow personally. And I say get to because I think that that's an added benefit. I did not think that at the beginning of this work as well. I didn't see that as a benefit. It was painful. It was difficult. I wondered when these feelings were going to stop, when I was going to make more insightful interventions that weren't marred by my own the weight of my own you know, personal stuff, so to speak. I thought, all right, I'm going to give it five years. I'll give it five <laughs> years. And I have to say, it felt a lot lighter in five years um, and, a, and a lot happier in the sense that you can start to enjoy the work more um, because you're not punishing yourself for what you're observing. And I think it's also a matter of shifting perspective. When you see it as growth-producing rather than failures, I think that arms you with the ability to not only enjoy the work more, but be better at it. Because if one sees it as all this self-criticism, why would you not shut doors to it? Why would you not put up barriers to exploring it? Again, that's the human condition. So that's just something to think about. Of course, I had several other thoughts, but you tell me if you want to move forward with that. Okay. Yes? Yes. Okay. So... One of, the th- one of the things that struck me was when you said that you wanted to be in Jamaica, even though your experiences there were horrific. And I was thinking about how comfortable familiarity is, even though it's so uncomfortable. There's such irony in that, 
right? Yeah. So we tend to stay with what we know, right? Like people stay in relationships, for example, forever, even though they're so unhappy in it. But the fear of what it would be like not to be with this person, and at least I know, I, I know what to expect. Stick to the evil you know. Stick to the evil you know. I mean, stick to the evil you know, yes. So it makes me think about change, right, and transitions. And again, having prior conversations with you about leaving your undergraduate program and going to your graduate program and that that was a very difficult transition because you became familiar with the culture of the school and the program that you were in and the people and you're somebody who wants connections and you were able to make them and am I going to be able to do this all over again and I don't know what I'm getting into and what is the professors there going to be like and what is the program they're going to be like and what are my peers going to be like so right a lot of fear around that so I'm, I'm wondering again about change, right? Here we are helping, hoping to help our clients with change, obviously change for the better, but change is scary to a lot of people. And so sometimes when something's familiar to us, it's hard to get somebody else there. It can also be work the other way in terms of pushing somebody to get there because it's a piece of you that you dislike so much that it's hard to tolerate in somebody else. And often that's an unconscious feeling. But I'm wondering if that resonates with you at all and how you see that kind of playing out in your work. I don't think that I really have an issue with, I guess, changing others, as long as it doesn't affect me. Change for me is quite difficult. And again, it's it, I, I think it's difficult because, like you said earlier, it's the unknown. It's, okay, I took the time to be invested in this moment, in this period, in this phase, and I'm now finally comfortable with it. Why on earth would I want to go uproot it and go find out something else all over again? So I really dislike change. I don't know. I never really gave much thought to just how much that is connected to all my abandonment issues. As far as working with a client, though, I'm always pushing people to be the better them that they could be, which, of course, implies change. So I wonder, quite often, is it that I am asking them to do something that I'm fearful of doing? with me. Because as much as I sought out my bachelor's degree, as much as I'm seeking out my MSW degree, it's it's a scary feeling. It's, uh, oh my gosh, I was not even supposed to finish high school, according to what the naysayers said. Why am I even in college or graduated college? I guess I do for others what I wished someone did for me when I was younger, which is to, I don't know, encourage someone to be better, to do better. And so I find myself doing that a lot, even when people don't ask. <laughs> so I'm just very vocal or silent cheerleader to many people. Sometimes they know and sometimes they don't. Because I want to see them succeed in ways that I didn't or couldn't or just didn't have the belief in myself to believe that I can do that. Yeah, that's very touching. Yeah. It's interesting, as you were talking, I felt like I could completely relate to what you were saying. 
I never had much faith in myself either, you know, growing up. And so it felt that when I started to try and support clients who had difficulty with change or transitions, that I was being kind of inauthentic because if I couldn't do it, how am I trying to get you to do it and guiding you in a way that I think um, will get you there, but I couldn't get myself there. Now that I think I do have faith uh, <laughs> and, I, and I can make changes better than I could, though wasn't able to do that until later in life, uh, I'm still not a lover of change. I do not I'm not fond of change. I'm not somebody who's going to go move abroad and have an experience for a year and come back or move to another state. I'm probably a New Yorker <laughs> through and through and for the rest of my <laughs> life, even though I've certainly fantasized about what it would be like to live elsewhere. I actually don't think that I could do it. But then I've rationalized it perhaps that, well, why would I want to? I really enjoy my, <laughs> my life here. So maybe I don't need to. But I think that there's still a part of me that wants to be that person who can embrace that change. But I will tell you this, because there certainly have been other, maybe I haven't moved to another city, maybe I haven't relocated to another country for a year, but I have made other transitions in my life, which is why I think I can use that now in a very different way than I was saying when I was a student or younger or less seasoned in my work with clients that I can, I can now draw on my experience with change through self-talk. And it makes me think about what you said, like, well, of course, why would I want to start a new program when I adapted to this program that was hard enough for me? Now I have to turn around and do this all over again. And I would say to you what I still at times say to myself, which is, but you did it. And you made the connections that you never thought that you would. Right? You never came in here thinking, in fact, I remember, I don't care, I want to do my job, do that job thing again, right? I want to do my work, do what I need to do, and get out. And then lo and behold, you joined the social work club, you met people, you let your guard down, and you developed a family here. And once developing a family, after not having a family for 30 some odd years, why on earth, yes, would you want to leave that family? And I go back to, I will say this, you are capable of making that family, of building that community that you were so desperately seeking, but terrified of, right? And what drew you to the military in the first place. And who's to say that you can't do that again? Because now this experience, having had this experience, shows that you've developed in ways that you're not the same person that you were two, three years ago when you came into this program. And so now you have new skills, just like you're helping your clients develop skills in certain areas, right, that you can apply to new situations. And so by the time that you graduate from your MSW program, you'll have a second family. And then you'll be able to carry that experience, which will still require self-talk, because even though you've now will have done that twice, the third experience <laughs> will still bring up anxiety because that's just how we're programmed. But you will be able to self-talk yourself through and say, you know what, I've done this twice before. I can do it again. Just like when all these students make their presentations for the first time and are dying that, you know, how are they going to get through this? And I got to drop this course and oh my goodness, 
And by the time they do it for the third, fourth, fifth time, it's much, much easier. And that's right the lesson of our lives is that with risk, risking change, risking vulnerability comes rewards. But it's a hard lesson when we've had so many other experiences or lessons during our most critical times of development that have sent other messages. Another thought around that and relatedness and connections is that you were telling about being attracted to a person, a woman, which is not only culturally foreign to you, right, and was, was really difficult to navigate, but religiously shunned. So you were telling this story about how you rejected her and she became upset and you gave in. And this was kind of the beginning of your realization of people-pleasing. And part of that was marred with guilt being attracted to her because of your religious background. But I think the lesson that one takes in from that, and lesson I don't mean necessarily positive, right, but it's a, a shaping lesson, was that getting the love that you need, want, and deserved has consequences, right? So from your other critical relationships and caregivers, you lost the love or you never had the love or you never experienced the love or when you finally felt it, it was so tenuous. Here you are again. You think that you're in love, but your religion's telling you you shouldn't be in love. And probably your culture is also saying this is not okay. So what do you do with that? And in addition to that, setting the person that you love through rejection and also rejection being familiar to you, it was probably completely overwhelming and disheartening and also probably led you to want to avoid conflict, right? Because conflict results in more rejection and disappointment and integrated the sense of well, I guess I can't get my needs met. If I express what I want, I better not express what I want because it's better to not have your needs met than to express what you need and then be rejected or abandoned or both. So again, that takes us full circle a bit to that connectivity that one is required to have with their clients. And in this work too, we've talked about needing to confront Right, and how confrontation doesn't have to be ugly or violent or negative, but oftentimes in this work, we're going to have to confront our clients very hopefully pleasantly. But I assume that poses some challenges. So there's a little silence and heaviness in the room. And I will say to the audience that obviously this is very sensitive. And this is also the first time Petrina is talking about this so openly. So to do it in front of an audience. Um, before you even have the realization that you know where this is going or what feelings this is going to bring up goes back to my feeling very grateful that, sh- that you have uh, agreed to do this because I think it takes a lot of bravery. So anyway, that was just to explain the pause and thought because I think that understandably you're a bit overwhelmed. I mean, I am laying a lot out here And in in kind of making the comparison to working with a client, one hopefully would never lay out all of this at once to a client because you risk completely overwhelming them and they will say goodbye and probably never return. 
and never come back, right? So I acknowledge that I am laying a lot on you, and we are going to definitely debrief after this, but I wonder if you have any last thoughts about what I just raised. I, I really came into this profession to help others, basically. And although the others that I wanted to help was just <laughs> my own community, I do now see where it's it's far beyond that, even in just when this podcast. Don't listen with a judging heart or mindset, regardless regardless of your background, you know? Just take what you can, learn, and continue to work on yourself. Because we can all be better in one way or another. And what's important is that we do things that are really going to make us better people, but at the same time be happy. So while I continue to work on myself, (laughs) I just hope that it will be in a way where I can really have some positive impact on someone else's life. I think you already have. I think I see it with your peers. I think I've heard it in your work with clients. And I think that you're going to be able to use your experiences to your benefit and your client's benefit in this work, right? Because it's about knowing how to draw on those experiences in a way that doesn't necessarily mean sharing those experiences with your client, right? But knowing how to use your past and your life experiences to tap into what a client might be experiencing. So while you may feel very unique in your story, every person's story is completely unique because it's their own, but everybody has a story and everybody's grappling with their past in doing this work. And if they're not, then they're not very aware of their experiences and how it potentially impacts their work. So you're ahead of the game. You're really ahead of the game. And I think that you're going to be a phenomenal social worker and that you are going to use your experiences, as you said, to help others. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that many of us, if not most of us, probably unconsciously go into this field to heal ourselves So it's part of the process that we don't feel healed yet early on and that while we're healing our clients, we're also working on ourselves. And again, that's not a wrong thing. It's not a bad thing. It's kind of par for the course. And we're perfectly capable of being in service to other people before we have all our own stuff worked out. So I think you need to have faith that you are perfectly capable of being helpful to others and helping direct them on a a path towards greater fulfillment. But I hope that you too will be on a path towards greater fulfillment and everybody will who is either listening or is in this field and is willing to do what you did and open up in order to understand yourself so that you can be 
an even better service to the population that you're going to be working with. Thank you so much, Petrina. You shared some very personal information about yourself. And with that, I am in gratitude. And not only did I learn so much about you and the strength you show having experienced what you have, but by sharing yourself in this way, you are helping us move others forward with their own introspection and insight. It's really an example of how we all have our struggles and how you don't always know that because most of us don't talk freely about those struggles. So this is also affirming in that way, but most importantly, sometimes it's our pain that allows us to be such a rock for others. How we know through our own experiences what others in turmoil need and your willingness to look at yourself in such depth arms you with the ability to be even better for those you want to help. You make the most impact when you have compassion, care, empathy, and relate with genuineness. Thanks again, and thank you to the listeners for getting down in the trenches with us. Till next episode. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a question for me, follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Myers Pod. That's D-R-M-E-Y-E-R-S-P-O-D. And send me a DM for a chance to get your question answered on the podcast. I've got some problems, yeah, I've got some questions. I need some help, point me in any direction. Clinical guidance is what I need to help me become who I'm meant to be. I've been searching for a teacher, another point of view. And I've been asking myself, what would Dr. Myers do?